This morning, as we continue our studies in 1 Peter, we ended up last week at chapter 4, verse 11. And so we will be picking up with verse 12. Peter had made the statement that the end of all things was at hand. So in one way or the other, their problems, their trials, their tribulations, their persecutions would not last forever. And this is to keep them in the right frame of mind that these problems they were having were only temporarily, temporary. And he gives them some instructions. He tells them to keep loving one another. And um, to show hospitality and to use their gifts for the advancement of God's kingdom. We discuss the fact that the gifts that we have are not for our use, but to build up the church of Jesus Christ. The idea behind all of this is that they are going to have to come together. They're going to have to love one another, help one another, show hospitality to one another, and use their gifts to stay together. And now, Peter is telling them, giving them more instructions and giving them more encouragement here. And this morning, we will ask, um, uh, let's see, I will pick on Darlene. <laughs> Give you a welcome back. Thank you. If you will uh, read for us, chapter 4, 1 Peter, verse 12 through 19. Okay. Uh, this is titled, Suffering as a Christian. <clears throat> Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and, God, and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it, is, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while being good. Peter is giving them further instructions on how to be prepared for some rough days ahead. Now, if we look back in chapter 1, verse 13, this is one of the themes in 1 Peter, and I think it's a very important theme. It's hard to apply but this is God's instructions to the church. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Literally, gird up the loins of your mind. But interpretive, that is preparing your minds for action. 
we are not supposed to wait until we're in trouble or until the persecutions come to say, oh, ooh, what do I need to do? No. We are supposed to always be getting ready for whatever's going to happen to us. We don't wait. And as Peter says in chapter 3, always be ready to give the reason for the hope that's in you. We are to be ready. We're to be a people that are prepared. And as a people, as a people being prepared for whatever may come of us, whatever God may send to us, we're not going to be surprised. That's the idea. Be prepared. Let nothing surprise you. You don't know what God's going to bring on you. God doesn't think like we do. And He will bring trials and tribulations upon you in a way that you don't expect. How many times do things turn out in a way we don't expect? Alright, in your notes, Peter has been instructing them on God's way of handling persecution by being unified and looking out for each other. All these instructions that we got from last week and many of the other instructions in First Peter is for us to be unified. Love covers a multitude of sins. That is a fantastic way to stay unified, overlooking one another's faults. In fact, in Proverbs, it says it's to a man's glory to overlook a transgression. <coughs> so we're to be unified and looking out for each other. Okay, We see now that he is expecting the trials to intensify that could be indicating the trials may back off for a little bit and then another wave of persecution is going to come. But anyway, there's a fiery trial coming one way or the other. And he says, don't be surprised at it. Christians should never be surprised. Everything is under the hand of God. Everything is in the perfect plan of God. And nothing is outside his control Whatever God brings upon his children should not surprise us. Now the world can be surprised at a bunch of things, but we should not be surprised. We're to look at it and say, this is what my Father has ordained for me. This is what I need. I'm not going to be surprised. I'm just going to try to, by wisdom, handle this problem, this trial, this tribulation, the way God wants me to do it. We're to be sober-minded. <clears throat> okay, so the, he seems to believe that the trials are going to intensify. He tells them not to be surprised. That's in your notes. That's the blank. Do not be surprised. So remember, Jesus has promised these things anyway. He has promised that per, we will be persecuted by the world. Their attitude should be this is nothing strange. It is all part of God's sovereign plan. So I ask you, should we ever be surprised by anything the world does to us? Should we ever be caught off a of guard? Right, I see a no. <laughs> well, if we follow Peter's instructions, no. We're to be sober-minded, 
self-controlled, and not be surprised no matter what the world does to us. Look what the world did to Jesus. So, but it's going to take preparing in advance. You need to be ready. And I believe in the teaching and preaching of the, that we have here at this church. I believe that uh, we are being instructed to be ready. Things could get worse. They could get better. Praise be to God if they do. But don't be surprised if they get worse. Steve, you have a comment? Well, um, being ready uh, it can be, take many forms, uh, whether it's under persecution or being asked a question when somebody's really being... Spirit of God is leading them to inquire about the faith, but um, I know that uh, morning routines for me for decades has been um, having breakfast was you know, to read a lot of reading. A lot of the reading I was doing was reading Rush Dunes and books and things. And then at one point in time in the jail ministry, one of the inmates said, "You know, how how is it you understand all these things?" I said, "Because I've been reading Rush Dunes for a number." Yeah. I would encourage them to do the same. I said, that's the only reason that I can even be here explaining these things to you, especially when I get the Muslims and other people, but the other even Christians I can ask them questions. How do I know? Well, because all these years it's been a, a habit, certain habits, and I've used that time, and it's only because I had done that reading previously and just by you know by habit is that God used it just at the right time to be able to deal with these things. So I think that's make learning part of our everyday or weekly Absolutely. A lot of our problems come just out of ignorance of Scripture. If we need the Bible better, we better be able to handle everything. I feel like I know the Bible pretty good until a trial comes up, and then I realize maybe I don't know it as well as I thought I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're to be ready for anything that comes up. Doesn't have to be a trial or tribulation. Need to be ready. All right. So let's try to be ready for whatever God brings in our lives. Whatever He brings us for our good to make us grow. Now, if we handle things God's way, we'll grow. If we handle things the way we seems best to us not using self-control or being sober-minded or knowing the Scriptures. If we do things our way, we won't grow. If we do things God's way, we'll grow. All right, so verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay? Now, Peter now tells them seven things concerning this fiery trial, and it's listed there in your notes. It's to prove the quality of their faith by testing in verse 12. Verse 12 says, It comes upon you to test you. These are tests. We had a pastor here that used to say, God always gives us pop quizzes. When you don't expect something, boom. God gives you a little pop quiz and we're to be ready for that. If we look back at chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 Peter has touched on this before. 
And um, Jill, if you read for us verses 6 and 7, then, then for us. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuine, genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <coughs> okay, We're, we should be rejoicing in this. Peter assumes that they're rejoicing. In this you rejoice. And for a little while, we're going to be grieved by various trials to test our faith. That is where you know where you stand in your maturity. How do you react? How do you handle test of your faith? When things get hard, do you cave in? Or do you pray to God for wisdom? and do what the Bible instructs us to do. And you can only do what the Bible instructs you to do if you know the Bible. The Holy Spirit's not going to come into your mind and say, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do in this situation. That's mysticism. That gets people in all kinds of trouble. We have the objective Word of God here to guide us on how we act. So be ready for the test. All right, verse 12 also says not to consider it anything strange. Christians have always been persecuted. Jesus has promised will always be persecuted. And we see in the New Testament that we are persecuted in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And Paul tells us that if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. So there's nothing strange. All right. Verse 13 tells us it's necessary before glory. We're, we're sharing in Christ's sufferings now. But one day, His glory is going to be revealed. Now whether they're talking about, whether Peter's talking about His glory is revealed in A.D. 70 when their persecutors are destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, but whether he's talking about Christ coming on the last day, can't tell for sure, but his glory will be revealed. That is a promise. So, right now we suffer. Christ had to suffer. The Son of God had to suffer before he entered his glory. We will too. All right, it's an opportunity for blessing according to verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Somebody insults you on the street saying, you stupid Christian, you believe this stuff? That's a blessing to you according to this verse. Okay, so, yeah, we are blessed when we suffer for Christ's sake. If we suffer for being foolish, that's no good. But we will be blessed if we suffer for the kingdom of God. Because he clearly says here that not to suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or as a meddler. Make sure when we suffer, it's for the kingdom of God and it is not because of our foolishness.
and it is an opportunity to glorify God. Verse 16 says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We need to remember we're glorifying God when we handle sufferings God's way. And not take matters and do it like we want to do it. And then the sixth thing is a challenge to prove the relevance of the gospel since judgment is coming. The time for judgment is to begin at the household of God and if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so it's to prove the relevance of the gospel. And then finally, number seven, it's an opportunity to prove their faithfulness. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We continue to do good in entrusting our souls to God, even when things get tough. Question back in verse 15. Okay. First, an observation I, I see, you know, he's talking about murderer, that's, that's pretty serious. Yeah. Thief, evildoer. Then he says, a meddler. Now, he's got that in with some pretty serious sins and crimes. Do you, I mean, I don't have my Greek testimony here, so do you have any idea, really? I mean, <laughs> Well, Want to comment on that? The, the the nature of that compared to those other about the meddler? Yeah, that, that seems to be pretty serious. But I mean, you know, and what kind of consequences would they? If you suffer, I mean, I can see you know you'd be uh, prosecuted by the state for murder and probably theft. Um, and then he puts evil door. I'm not sure how that word compares to. Episcopus is the Greek word. I have no idea what that means. Which word? Is Episcopus. Oh, oh um, yeah, because uh, Episcopus is the, is the ruling elder, you know, yeah. overseeing, over, overseer. So maybe this person's just seeing things they shouldn't be looking at. Yeah. Yeah, it goes from the greater to the lesser, like you've observed. You know, murderer, that's probably about as bad as you can get. And then just a little meddler. Um, but, you know, these these little sins like meddling and gossip and stuff like that, God says he hates those things. Well, you can you can murder somebody's character. Yeah. As you meddle and you gossip, you can destroy someone. Yeah. But um, the idea is, if you're suffering of being any kind of the word evil doer is in there, but any kind of foolishness, if you suffer for it, you know. He says, "Don't do it. Don't suffer for that." I mean, the I mean, uh, Jerry Bridges had a book out. I think it was called "White White Collar Sins" or something like that. Respectable sins, and you know, that's a good book to read. <laughs> So-called respectable sins aren't really too respectable in God's eyes. Yeah. So it doesn't mean just um, crimes. Any kind of sin. You know, all sins are not evil in the sight of God. Some sins are more heinous than others. But all sins are deadly. All of them are deadly. I think I've come across some Christians in the past who thought they were being persecuted 
for being a Christian when in fact they were guilty of one of these things, especially right. the meddling part. Yeah. No, it's, it's a problem in the church. It was one here. Peter addresses it. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. He doesn't just say blessed are those who are persecuted. All right, good point. We need to be uh, mindful of all sins, not just the big ones, not just the crimes. Every crime is a sin, but not every, not every sin is a crime. We need That's to be yeah. we need to be uh, aware of all of them. And you only can know that by reading God's word. All right. Anything else on any of those seven things, Carlene? One of the things that came to my mind uh, regarding number six, a challenge to prove the relevance of the gospel. Since judgment is coming, for some reason, as a mother, I didn't have such a burden in my heart as I do as a grandmother. But I think about our challenges to be ready for persecution, to handle it in a biblical way, because we've got other little eyes watching us, Mm -hmm. how we handle it. And they're going to take that as a cue of this is how I handle this kind of problem. Um, that just, it's, it's a constant on my mind. Right. What I say, what I do, how I handle anything, but especially something like persecution. Um, and, and persecution for righteousness. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I'm always thinking, these kids are watching and they're going to follow in my footsteps most likely. Usually they pick up on the bad points, don't they? <laughs> yeah, well, somebody's quoted as saying, children never misquote you. It, it's normally that they say exactly what you shouldn't have ever said. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, they're watching intently. Actually, everybody's being watched intently these days. The world is ready to pounce on us for anything. Yeah, but that, that's for the purpose of trying to persecute us and knock us down as Christians. I'm thinking yeah. of the other side of the coin that children are watching for the purpose of learning how to walk like a Christian. And we're their example as parents and grandparents. Yeah, uh, you know, what I'm saying is that there's your general example to everybody else, not just kids, but the kids are important. True. But I mean, I to everybody. I see what you're saying. Things like, things like you don't think of, like your social media, you know, you might, you might be tempted to say things on there thinking that nobody's watching. Yeah. They are. Yep. Well, Steve. and when Darlene and I were in the jail ministry at Virginia Beach, you know, on our Sunday, of course, that was a fiery trial for us, but also what was, I think, in both of our minds, too, is that we were, our positions were very public positions. There was nothing private about it. We yeah. hadn't been in the local news as far as our, what we were doing in the jail. And, you know, another level there was the inmates and the staff and the sheriff 
Now, how were they, how were we going to handle this thing, this great loss, this sudden terrible thing? Because uh, we knew they were watching us. How were we going to react to this? And we, uh, and the inmates to, too. The inmates yeah. knew about his death, and they they were watching us. I remember mm -hmm. a man reaching through the little food chuck hole, and he reached out when I took some papers to him, and he touched my hand and scared me because they they're not supposed to reach out, but he did, and he was you know giving me his sympathy. Yeah. But yeah, they all knew about it. They were watching to see how we were handling it. And God was good. <laughs> God helped us through that. Thinking too, though, how. Um, sometimes people who are going through great trials, for example, people in nursing homes and those kinds of things, when someone comes in that hasn't been through the same, then they have a different opinion about what they have to say. Um, and this is why um, when my mom was praying and reading scripture, it meant more because she was there with them and was going through a trial of her own. Okay, good. All right, wrapping up on the notes here. For the idea of judgment beginning with God's people, look at these verses here. And um, we'll just go down here beginning with our pastor. Jeremiah 25, 29. Michelle, Isaiah 9, 6. Bud, Malachi 3, 1 through 3. And... With this judgment beginning with God's people, it's nothing new. What does Jeremiah 25, 29 tell us? For behold, I have begun to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord hosts. Starts out with they're with God's people and it goes out to all the earth. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, <coughs> Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah, that's a nice Christmas verse, but it's not the verse I meant. <laughs> no. I've, got a, I've got a typo there, so we'll skip that one. Okay. All right, Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is to continue, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Purify the sons of Levi, right there in the temple. That's where it began. Um, so God's judgment begins with God's people. Now, Verse 19 shows that even when we suffer for doing good, we are to entrust our souls to our Creator and continue to do good. When we suffer for doing good, we are continue, supposed to continue to do good. So suffering is no reason to 
be sinful in any way. And this phrase, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I don't believe this is talking about saving from hell. I believe this is um, saving from death. Uh, We are being persecuted. These people that Peter is writing to, they're being persecuted. Hey, you guys are scarcely being saved on this earth. What's going to happen to those who are ungodly and sinners? What's going to happen to your persecutors? It doesn't mean our salvation is a barely, barely salvation. It's talking about uh, not dying. Okay, we're about out of time. I will ask. Oh, do good to do good. I'll ask Joshua if you'll close us in prayer today.